Well, good morning, Redemption Church Flagstaff. It feels so good to be here. It's an honor. And and just so you know, you guys are going to be etched in the memory of my kids for the rest of their lives because today was the first day they've ever seen snow in their life. You know? So they got to experience it. And my my five-year-old... He just couldn't wait, got out, made him a snowball, and just pegged me right in the chest. So, <laughs> so he loves the snow. Uh, my name is Pastor West, by the way. Wesley Little is my name, and God's funny because I'm 5'7", my wife's 4'11". And he gave us the last name Little, so it's just strange. And a little bit more about my background is uh, I've been married for almost 13 years now. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, May 1st will be 13 years. I know you're looking at me like, dang, you look like you just turned 15. See, God has, God has blessed me. I'm the youngest looking pastor in all of redemption. The Lord has blessed the brother. We have, we have uh, four kids, four kids. Uh, I have a 12-year-old, and he, uh, he's at that awkward stage right now. All right, uh, We used to homeschool our kids, but we decided this year, go ahead and try out public school. So now he's at that awkward stage because he's 12 and he's really handsome. And you'll see why in a minute. But he's really, really handsome. But it's like he's trying to learn how to become the king of the playground and still not look silly in front of the girls. So he's at that just weird, awkward thing where he won't tell me he loves me anymore. And he just gets out of the car and darts off. It's just one of those weird things. But he loves to play basketball. He, he hates me and my wife because we're so short and he loves to play basketball. So I just told him, you just got to try harder. They're short guys that make it into the NBA. You just got to try harder. So that's my son. He's a real, real wonderful kid, and I love him with all my being. I have an eight-year-old daughter who is in the kids' church right now, and she's loving it. She's really loving it back there. She was the first one back there, so she was super excited. Like, yeah, we run this place. And I, she, she's probably going to be a little bit bummed when other kids start coming in. Like, oh, I guess we don't run this place. But she's eight. She's super. I just love her. She has my heart. She stole my heart. My wife can't stand it because I cannot discipline this girl. I just can't do it. My wife has no problem disciplining her. But I can't do it. I just can't do it. So she gets away with murder. Okay, she's really, really smart. Um, I just love her with all my heart. And then I have a five-year-old. That's the one that pegged me in the chest with the snowball. This kid is a genius. And he's back there. And I'm not kidding. Just because he's my kid, I'm, I'm telling you, he's super smart. He is a beast at Call of Duty. And he's five. On the PS4, I'm, oh, you're, I'm telling you, he's a beast. He's the best in our family. He handles all of us. I posted on Facebook like, Taj just beasted on me again at Call of Duty. Posted on Facebook. My friends didn't believe it. They're like, what, five-year-old beasting? I'm coming over. So my friends came over. He handled them. Handled them, man. He just, so I'm serious. He is really, really good at Call of Duty. And what, he, what, what was his thing? Oh, yeah, Dad, I'm beasting and feasting on you all day, every day. That's what he tells me. And I get mad because, like, I'm playing, right? And I'm, like, not even trying to look at his stuff. So I'm playing, like, and I look at my kills. I'm like, yeah, I got 15 kills. Cool. What is Taj doing? So I look up at his. He's at, like, 45. And you'd think he has, like, some kind of cheat codes or something going on, but he's just good. He's just good. And my wife, she just gave birth to a kid, so we have a two-week-old back there. My wife's back, back there in the corner there. There she is. Wave to him, babe. That's my wifey right there. And so we have a two-week-old. And so if you have infants, please show a little grace to a brother because you know what I'm going through, right? So, I mean, it's been five years since we had an infant in the house. So show a little grace because you know your life changes, right, when you have an infant? Like for every 10 minutes of your life, you have about 2.5 seconds of freedom, 
right? So you got the infant. He's crying. He's crying. You get him all done. And it's like, okay, he's not crying. You put him down and you go eat your ramen noodles real quick, come back and then pick him up. It's just, it's just weird how much. So if I'm rambling or talking really fast or acting weird or all fidgety, just understand I have an infant in the home. And that's where that's all coming from. So like I said, I'm one of six elders at Redemption Church Alhambra. And I love our congregation because it's right smack dab in the middle of the inner city. We're doing some inner city evangelism popping off. But uh, it's cool because our campus is a beautiful campus. All right. It's beautiful, but it's in the heart of the inner city. See, I love how God did that. Right. Because most inner city churches are pretty ghetto. Right. But God just blessed us with his wonderful campus. And now we get to be the light to that city. Believe this or not, Vince, I know he wanted to say this, but he left it because I manuscript all my things. So everything I'm saying to you guys, it's all right here on my computer, like word for word. Like, okay, Wesley, laugh here. <laughs> like word for word, it's there. So everything I say is manuscripted right here. And I know, and I sent it over to Vince just to get his approval. Like, am I allowed to say these kind of jokes at your congregation? He's like, yeah, sure. So I know he was holding off trying to say this, but we do have a lot in common, him and I. One of the things that we have in common is uh, we're both Asian and you can't tell. Right? I mean, you look at me, what did you think? Oh, black guy. Oh, yeah, we got a black preacher. Well, yeah, yeah, but my mom's half Japanese. So we got Asian. I got Asian in me, but you can't hardly. It's weird. And then, like, when I saw Vince for the first time, I'm like, oh, yeah, we got a Mexican preacher. Straight up Mexican preacher, yeah. But, like, he's half, right, Vietnamese? And he has no Hispanic in him at all. So it's just strange. So we have that in common where you can't tell that we have Asian in us, but we do. Um... And he's half Vietnamese, and my wife is Vietnamese, so we have that in common. But, you know, I got one up on Vince, and I know he hates this because I get to eat Vietnamese food every single day. And, like, a day like this, get to go home, eat some pho, that soup. Oh, it's just so good. I know he's hating it right now. Yeah, fridge. <laughs> it's just so good, you know, so I get to go home and enjoy that Vietnamese food every day. And another thing we have in common is we love serving Jesus' people. We love serving you guys, and we love being a part of Redemption Church. And Vince, I just want to thank you, man, for having me here and allowing me to enter into your world and preach to your community. So this is really, really cool. So if you're just visiting us today, we are in a, like Vince said, we are in a congregational-wide series called Mark, where we're going to spend a little over a year going through the entire gospel of Mark. And I can't wait to see what God does through this. I can't wait to see how, oh, that's pretty gangster. see? That's it. Bring it. Oh, that was scary. Oh. Oh. One thing you're going to learn about me is I'm a chicken, right? <laughs> my, my wife can't stand this about me. Like, if a dog's coming, my first instinct is to push her first in front of the dog and run. I won't do it, but that's what I want to do, okay? So I'm a chicken. So you're going to learn. If something happens, I'm going to be jetting out of this door. All right. So I can't wait to see what God does through this series of Mark. All right. Um, my goodness. So there's a time, there was a time in world history, right, where Rome was a powerhouse. Did you guys know that? There was a time in world history where Rome, everything happened through Rome. They were pretty, it was like the world. The world was Rome. And I remember reading, reading about the life of Nero. Anybody know who Nero is? And when he first became emperor of Rome, he did a lot of good things when he was first emperor. Isn't that weird to say Nero and good things? That's just strange to put those things together. But he did a lot of good things. Did you know that he would honor his mother and his wife by having this parade and going around in the city and like with his, with his mom with him and, then the, and, and just parading around like this family emperor type deal? Did you know he used to give money to the citizens of Rome? He would give them money. 
I remember when, when uh, my wife and I were just newlyweds, and we had our son, J.D., and uh, I was going to community college, and I was broke, pretty much. I'm just trying to lead up to it. We were broke. You know, just, we needed money. And George Debye was the president at the time. And then out of nowhere, we got a check for $625. Now, I don't know if you're political and you know where that money comes from and you're against it. I'm sorry. But at that time, I was loving me some George W. Bush. Okay, I was like, oh, man, because I needed that six hundred twenty five dollars. So I can only imagine how they must have felt when Nero out of nowhere started like giving him money. Did you know that Nero actually gave the senators their first annual salary? Like they were like on the payroll now. So I bet you they were happy with him on that. He, He also gave them a food stipend each month. So I was like, dang, Nero was hooking it up. So in the marketplaces, the food was banging. People had money to buy the food. The economy was booming. The entertainment value was high. So it was just good to be in Rome at this time. It was really, really, really good. Uh, Nero actually loved, um, he loved the circus. He loved uh, music. He loved the theater. He loved sports. He loved all that stuff so much that he made his own Olympics. And it was called the Neronia. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It sounds like Narnia. And it's funny because I'm reading the book of Narnia to my kids now. So when we were driving up here, what do you think they thought of? They were like, oh, so that's what snow looks like. Yeah, they were tripping out. It's like, yep, that's Narnia right there. So, so the Neronia would happen every five years, and it included music and gymnastics and riding. And you thought American Idol and America's Got Talent was original, didn't you? Even though we did jack it from Britain, right? Britain's Got Talent. But Nero was actually the first one to originate all these things, okay? But what happened was is, oh, yeah, and also it wasn't, a foreign concept to take these emperors and, and kind of deify them in a way. Like, oh, this must be one of the sons of the gods. Or, oh, this guy is, he's, he's a god. It was, like, that was not foreign at that time. So it didn't take long for corruption to start reaching the footsteps of Nero. All right? Because his closest advisor, Seneca, began feeding his head with what a better Rome would look like. So he started uh, uh, not listening to his mom anymore, started listening to the senator, Seneca, and was getting his head filled with this poison. And so what happened was he started not to trust the closest ones around him. And so he thought his mom was plotting against him. So what do you think he did with his mom? That's right, he had her killed. Isn't that crazy? He thought his wife, he, he, he honestly didn't really love his wife too much because uh, he married just to get into the family. But uh, he had her killed as well so he can actually marry the, the woman he really liked. So he had her killed. He, he couldn't stand how Christians wouldn't deify him, how Christians wouldn't say that he's the son of the gods. So he would have them persecuted and many of them killed. So the citizens of Rome, they were getting really fed up with this tyrant. They were getting sick of Nero. And it's at this time that the Gospel of Mark was written. Isn't that crazy? It was around this time when all this tension was in the air, the Gospel that we're going to be covering for, uh, for over a year was written. So the Gospel of Mark in ways is kind of like a polemic against Nero's claim to be the son of a god. So the Mark drove this claiming stake in the ground with the first sentence of his gospel, Mark 1.1. You're never going to look at this ever again, the same ever again. He said, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's how he started his gospel. So you know what he was doing. These emperors, Nero, all these people claiming that they're the son of God. No, Jesus is the son of God. So throughout this book, we see Mark carrying this claim, carrying this theme that Jesus is the son of God. 
Pastor Vince, uh, the first week of this series, did a great job when he spoke about the importance of John the Baptist. You guys remember that? Who was here for that? Who was here for that? All right, good. You guys remember that. He was talking about how John the Baptist was living in the wilderness, and he was proclaiming the need for repentance and proclaiming that there will be one that comes after him that will baptize with fire, because John the Baptist was baptizing with water, but there will be one that comes after him that will baptize with fire. Pastor Vince joked about the description of John the Baptist, and I don't know if it was too much of a joke. Because I'm looking around. He said what? John the Baptist was a crazy man in the wilderness with a thick beard. Hmm. He wore camel's hair. And I'm only assuming that there were three shades of camel, okay? So he had like the dark going on. He had the light and the medium tone. Kind of like a plaid pattern, maybe. (laughs) Some people know where I'm getting at. And he sat around and ate locusts. So to the people of Flagstaff, John the Baptist was what? A lumberjack, right? He probably graduated from NAU. I'm probably looking at a lot of his relatives right now, right? That's a diss. I know. That's a diss. You're allowed to laugh at yourselves. So Pastor Vince, he also preached about Jesus' baptism and how it's important for the followers of Jesus to get baptized as well, right? He preached about that, if you remember. He said it was important. And I was listening to the message. I wish I could have been here. Because he talked about Jesus' baptism and how important it is for the followers to get baptized. And you guys, some of you in this room even, got baptized that day. What a great application. Oh, I wish I would have been here to see that. I know that that was amazing. Because, because just as God the Father affirmed Christ and spoke to him at his baptism, remember he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father also speaks that to those who are in Christ as well. Right, So to see or just to hear about you guys getting baptized, and I know that you put your faith in his son. He, the father, also affirms you, saying, you are my son, and you are my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. That had to have been amazing. Oh, I wish I could have saw that. wish I could have saw that. Then Anthony G., he preached the next week about when uh, Jesus was being led into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. You guys remember that? Y'all remember that? No? Some of you weren't here. You're like, oh, Vince isn't preaching. I'm not coming. All right? <laughs> so he preached about Jesus being led into the wilderness, tempted by Satan, and overcoming that temptation of Satan, and then being ministered by the angels, and then leaving and proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. That was an awesome message. He also touched on what true repentance really looks like. He touched on what true repentance is and how many of us mistake it for willpower. Oh, man, when I was listening to that, I was like, okay, Anthony, you got me. You got me, bro, because it was killing me when he was talking about what true repentance looks like and how we just try to will things on our own power. Because we know, right, how sometimes we're sorry for our sins and we confess our sins to God and, and, and sometimes we'll confess our sins to one another. But that's not true repentance. True repentance can only happen by the power of the Spirit of God, right? That's the only way that true repentance can happen. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to truly turn, that we're able to truly repent and believe that Jesus is sufficient for us in all things, right? It's only by the power of the Spirit that we can be able to turn from the sin that we actually love. We say that we hate, but we actually love. Turn from that and see that Jesus is the better. Guys, it's only by the power of the Spirit that we're able to do that. Okay, Pastor Vince last week did an outstanding job preaching about the call of God and how Jesus called his disciples. I thought that was an amazing thing. And only in Vince-type fashion could he take the movie Forrest Gump and then take following Jesus, 
mesh them together and have it make sense. I was like, how in the world did you do that? And if you missed last week, go listen to the podcast. He did that. And I was like, I was impressed. He took the movie Forrest Gump, took the following of Christ, put them all together and, and, and meshed it up. And it was really, really, really well. Uh, I was really challenged last week as well because he challenged us to what? Trust in Jesus. Put your trust in him. Trust his call on our lives, right? And not to be hesitant to follow him. Now, we could be hesitant to follow man, but we shouldn't be hesitant to follow Jesus if we trust him. So he challenged us. I just can't believe that we're already in the fourth week of this series and we're still in Mark chapter one. So now you know why it's going to take a year to get through this. And so I know we read the scripture reading already, but I want to do it again. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to read a little bit further. We're going to go from 21 all the way to 34. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 all the way to 34. It's a huge chunk. I really want to get through it. Don't worry, I'm, I'm only, well, because I don't, I'm not on diaper duty when I'm up here, I might just hang, guys. This is my escape from, from diapers. So I don't know how long I'm going to be. <laughs> so, yeah, because when I get down here, I know there's probably a diaper waiting for me. All right, so Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 34, it's a huge chunk. Now, when I was going over these passages and I was praying about it, there were three things that stood out to me, and they all deal with authority. The first thing was this, the authority of Jesus over the wise. Okay, Jesus has authority over the wise. When he was in the synagogue, he was just handling his business up in there, wasn't he? That was just gangster to me, how he just rolled up in there and was just like shutting him down because he had the authority of, of God all over him. I don't know who sings the song, but I know Vince put me up on this song when we were coming back from California. So you can blame him for the secular uh, reference I'm about to have. But uh, that one song, uh, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yeah, I can just, like, that plays in my, in my mind when I read that portion of Scripture when Jesus is in the synagogue, because he sure is. He's just smashing, smashing them with that authority. So that was the first thing that stood out to me. The second thing that stood out to me was how, how uh, and it, it really got me, it convicted my heart, of how Jesus has authority over his people. The authority of Jesus over his people. And we're going to spend majority of our time unpacking the personalized care that Jesus has for his followers. And then the third thing that really got me and was simply amazing is the authority of Jesus over the masses. He has authority over the masses as he decided to spend countless hours healing people that were sick and delivering people that were oppressed with evil spirits. So he has authority over the masses. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand, people will get you a Bible. All right, yeah, there's some people about to get you a Bible. I see some hands up. And if you don't own a Bible, keep that Bible. But we are short on Bibles here this morning. So if you do need a Bible, but you own one, just leave it by the door on your way out. But if you don't own one, keep that as our gift to you. Mark it up, bedazzle it, do all the things you need to do with it to make it your own. All right, so Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 34. And uh, this is what it says. And they went to Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. I'm telling you, I'm the man. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. 
And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him let's pray father father god you you've given your son all authority on in in heaven and on earth it's amazing when we think about the fact that that jesus is doing his work his ministry through us strange when I think about that, God. Your plan is so amazing. Your plan of redemption is primarily played out by the common folks of this world. I know, God, that you work through the rich. I know you work through the poor, but it's just something about the ordinary people that baffle my mind. It's it's refreshing when I think about how you do extraordinary things through those who would simply be invisible. We'd just be a blade of grass being ready to cut and dispose. We'd just be a vapor ready to be blown away by the breeze, but you, God, but you, Father, you've given us worth. You're making the insignificant significant, God, by conforming us to the image of your Son. That's what you're doing in your people, and we thank you, God. We're forever grateful for you, God. God, I pray that if there are There are some here that have not received that spiritual heart transplant that only you're capable of doing. I pray that that happens for them today, God, as they hear your word being preached and your word being sung by the band, God. I pray that that they hear about Jesus and their heart of stone will be removed and the heart of flesh that only you're able to give will be given to them, God, so that they can hear you, so that they can feel and understand and know you. God, we pray those things. We earnestly pray those things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So the first point, the authority of Jesus over the wise. Did you notice how when we were reading that passage, the teaching of the synagogue, uh, Jesus' teaching in the synagogue, it wowed the people, right? They were astonished. They were just tripping out. Pastor Vince spoke last week about the credibility of a speaker. And he, he said he said something about this billboard. There was a saying on this billboard. You guys remember this? He alone who owns the youth gains the future. And when I was listening to the message, I was like, yeah, that's pretty gangster. Yeah, I'm digging that. And then, and then he said, who said it, right? He's like, yeah, that's from Hitler. I was like, oh, man, ooh, gosh, I can't stand it. But see, Jesus never had that problem. See, Jesus, Jesus ha- never had that problem because he was not only one who taught as if he had authority, but he was the one who had authority. He was the embodiment of it. He didn't have that problem. His credibility was there. He had authority. Don't forget the inauguration of his ministry. The spirit came upon him, right? And the voice of God affirmed him. So just imagine Jesus in the synagogue. He's preaching because the spirit is in him and he's preaching the very words of God. So of course he has the authority because he is the God man. He's the incarnate God man, God in the flesh. That is Jesus, which is why it's interesting that as soon as Jesus was done teaching, Satan and his minions wanted to play copycat and try to show their incarnate power. And so a man with an unclean spirit approaches Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Do you guys see that there? 
Am I the only one tripping? That's there, right? I'm not making things up. That's in the Bible. A man with an unclean spirit came and you saw it. There's a spiritual battle going on right before our eyes, right there in the scriptures. So God comes in the flesh and here's Satan doing his best to try to come in the flesh. Are you serious? My goodness. He's weak. Weak devil. He's a weak devil compared to the one who has real authority over both heaven and earth. Luke 4.33 gives us more detail because Mark is just trying to get to these points. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he's just trying to get boom, boom, boom. But Luke 4.33 gives more details. It says about the unclean spirit, it calls it an unclean demon. Or in some translations, it calls it an unclean devil. So you see, this man was truly possessed, all right? So he comes truly possessed. So what did the unclean spirit wanted to know? He, he questioned Jesus. He's like, why are you here already? What's going on? What are you doing here? Now, when I read in the New Testament, I've never seen an unclean spirit have bad theology or doxology. I've never seen it. They always know what's up. They always know what's happening with Jesus. However, I have some friends that have some pretty good theology, but it seems like they're at war with Jesus. (laughs) Hey, that's just a little something for y'all. I don't know. But I have friends that are like that. They have great theology, but there's something about Jesus that being in us that truly matters, right? There's something about moving with the power of the Holy Spirit in us that matters. All the knowledge about Christ will not save you. It will not save you. And that's what I try to stress at our congregation because a lot of people in our congregation think that they have to be super knowledgeable. I mean, that's nice, especially. It's it's good. It's really good to have when the Spirit of Christ is in you. But man, that can hurt you in the end if if the Spirit of Christ isn't in you and you know all about him because what better are you than a demon. Okay, so what did he say? He said, um, notice in verse 24, the demon, the unclean spirit, that devil, he says what? He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Did you notice that the unclean spirit knew the work of Christ? Knew the work of Christ. We got to understand that the work of Christ is definitely to bring salvation to the lost, right? Praise God for that. But for those who is not inhabited by his spirit, the work of Christ is to also judge those that don't have God's spirit in it. So this spirit, this unclean spirit knew the work of Christ was there to destroy him. All right, so that was the work of Christ. It was there. It's just amazing to me. And then what did Jesus do as the spirit was rambling on about who he was? With great authority, he pretty much told his demon to shut up, didn't he? He said, be silent and come out of him. And the demon did just that. And, and get this, it was only with mere words that the demon left the man. Jesus didn't come over and like lick his hand and smack it on his forehead and say, come out of him. Like he didn't do that, right? Or he didn't come and like, he didn't do any of that stuff. It was with mere words. He just came over and said, get out of there. Now there were all kinds of people up in this synagogue listening to this, right? Hearing this message. There were all kinds of people, rich people, poor people, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, all kinds of people. So we see here that they were all amazed, right? However, they are all amazed that Jesus commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So everybody was looking at Jesus like, dang, who is this dude? Jesus has authority over the wise. You guys get that? You see that there? He has authority over the wise. And last week, Pastor Vince spoke about the call of the disciples. He spoke about the four disciples, the four of 12 disciples that were called to Jesus. And one of those four was Peter. Now it's interesting because many believe that the gospel of Mark that we're going through was co-written by Peter. Pretty gangster, right? Who knew that? Who knew that? Got some Bible scholars up in here? Uh Uh-oh, one person knew it. Two people. 
I'm going to talk to y'all afterwards and really see if you knew it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was co-written by Peter. A lot of people believe that this could also be called the Gospel of Peter or the Gospel of Peter and Mark. That's how much influence he had, which is why when we go through this Gospel, you'll start seeing highlights of Peter. Now, when I say highlights, I'm not talking about... Da-na-na, da-na-na, right? I'm not talking about ESPN highlights, right? He wasn't, he wasn't like catching the touchdown pass. That's not what Peter was doing. He would show things. He, was, he would be very vulnerable with the truth about his involvement with Jesus, which is, at times, which is why at times we'll see how he wasn't as loyal as he should have been at all times. So that's why Peter is highlighted there. So when you see in verse 29 that they left the synagogue and immediately went to Peter and Andrew's house. You guys see that there? I'm not making it up. That's what it says, right, in verse 29. He left the synagogue and immediately went to Peter and Andrew's house. Now, this transition, it happens a lot in life. It's probably going to happen to you guys today. You're going to leave here and go home, maybe. Or some of you are going to go somewhere and eat some soup, maybe to the Vietnamese restaurant. I'm not going to recommend that place. I'm not going to do it. I can't. I just, with every good conscience in me, I can't do it. But that's all Vince has. So... He's going to go to the Vietnamese restaurant here and enjoy some mediocre soup. All right. So, uh, but that's what's going to happen, right? We're going to leave here and then we're going to go home. They left the synagogue and went to Peter's house. Could you imagine? They left the synagogue and went to Peter's house. Peter just witnessed the power of Jesus in the synagogue. What story did we just tell? Just talk about. We just talked about this battle of Satan and Jesus and, and, and Jesus pretty much casting this demon out of this man. Peter witnessed this. And now they're going to his crib. They're going to his house. I would be tripped out. Like, okay, Jesus, the dude that just did all this is coming to my house. This had to be extremely challenging for Peter, right? Why was this extremely challenging for Peter? Because now Jesus is entering into his mess. Jesus is going to Peter's house, entering into his mess. Verse 30 says that they immediately tell Jesus about Peter's sick mother-in-law. That's there in verse 30. They immediately tell him. When I was reading this account, I had to stop for a good 10 minutes. And I had to pray to God. Because when I was reading this, I just got so shooken up. Because this story is just too close to home. It's just one of those stories that just when the Bible just comes to life and it just does something to you. Because I have a mother-in-law that lives, my wife and I, we, my mother-in-law lives with us. And she has a mental disorder. So I find myself sometimes when people come over, I find myself explaining or immediately telling them about her. It's interesting. Ah, get it together, Wes. Don't do that. You a man. You don't cry. You don't cry. So I can only imagine, I can only imagine what Peter was going through. The mind of Peter. Because I'm there. What would Jesus think of me? When he comes into my house and he sees in my house lay this sick woman after he just healed this dude. What would he think of me? Will Jesus revoke my call? He called me. Will he take that away now that he sees my mess? Now that he knows who I am? Now that he sees what's in my house? Is he gonna is he gonna take that away? God, I knew I wasn't fit to serve alongside you. Now you're in my house. You see who I am. You know what I really do when the lights are off. I knew I wasn't fit, Jesus. But what did Jesus do? What did he do without words? He didn't use words this time. Don't forget, with mere words, he cast out the demon. Without words, he walks over to the mother-in-law. And he grabs her. It touches her. He touches the mother. I just can't believe it. 
It drives me insane when I think about the care that Jesus has for his people. He touches her and he lifts her up and she is healed. That is amazing to me. The intimacy that Jesus has for his people. He didn't shame Peter, did he? He didn't shame Peter that in his house lay this sick woman. But no, he comes and shows just how much he loves Peter and his family. And he reaches down and lifts her up. And he is, she is healed and she does what she does best. She starts to serve them immediately. That is beautiful to me. That shows me another level of Christ that is just, oh, I, can't, I can't even explain. I just, love, I just love him all the more. That's my mother-in-law, guys. That's my mother-in-law I'm reading about. My mother-in-law, she loves to serve people. Yes, she still has a brain disorder, but she loves Jesus. I'm not kidding you. She loves to worship Jesus. She loves serving people. When my wife and I have our doubts, when my wife and I are struggling, she always comes to us and questions us. You love Jesus, don't you? You trust in God, don't you? You believe in God, don't you? Yes, Mom. Yes, we do. I can only imagine what Peter must have felt when that unconditional love of Christ touched his home. When the unconditional love and the healing hands of Jesus touched his mother-in-law. What about you? Will you trust him? Will you trust Jesus? Will you trust Jesus to love you unconditionally like he just showed for his people here? Do you trust him enough to to leave this place and not leave him here, but to bring him home so that he can see your mess? Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Oh, daughter of Christ, I know you're in here. Daughter of Christ, who has bewitched you? That you believe Jesus isn't interested in your mess at home. Who has shamed you to believe that? Who has bewitched you? That's not true. He is interested in your mess. Oh, son of God, son of Christ, who has tricked you into believing that Jesus isn't interested in your struggle? Dang, that's gangster. That's gangster, I'm telling you. Hey, I didn't get as scared that time as the first time because it went, all, it went right with it. That's that power, that spirit right there. But Jesus is truly interested in your struggle. He's truly interested in how you maintain work in your family life, oh, son of Christ. He's interested in that. He's interested in how you maintain school and family and church and all those things. Will you bring him home with you? Will he be a part of who you are? He's interested in you. Because Jesus will touch your household just like he came in and touched Peter's. And that spiritual fever of doubt will leave your house just like that great fever left his mother-in-law at the embrace of the Messiah. Oh, will you... Embrace Jesus this morning. So it's not enough to just experience Christ, guys. It's not enough to just experience him and his love in this type of setting. Oh, you bring him home. Bring him home. Live it out. All of life is all for Jesus. Oh, let's live that out. Let's be a a shining example of that statement. Why? Because Jesus has authority over his people. For the third point. Jesus has authority over the masses. Remember in verse 28, it said that his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. That's what it says in verse 28. I like for you guys to check out those things because, you know, in this day and age, people will say things are in the Bible, but it's not. So every time I read a passage, I do say that. It's there, right? You guys can look. It's there. I'm not making it up. 
So that is there, right, in verse 28. His fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The overwhelming joy that was felt in that house at Peter's time, it added on in verse 32 because it says, they, the disciples, right, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and oppressed by evil. That's right, that's there, right, in verse 32. They did that. They got hyped up. They brought Jesus home and was like, dang, just like the synagogue, he's over here healing us. They just got so excited that they went out and brought the whole city. They brought the whole city. So I'm telling you this. I'm telling you, Satan and his minions, I listen to Spurgeon, or I read Spurgeon a lot. So a lot of my stuff is old school. I like to paint pictures and things like that. So that's where I got minions from, and Despicable Me, right? So Satan and his minions, they know the work of Christ. They know the work. So Satan knew the plan of Christ was to was to give his spirit to inhabit his people and thus furthering the kingdom of God. So Satan tried to get a 4,000-year head start and start inhabiting people. And in the course of hours, what happened? The sick were being healed and the oppressed were being delivered by demons. I I mean, not by demons. The oppressed were being delivered, not by demons, by Jesus. The the oppressed were being delivered. Those evil spirits were gone in the course of hours. So you could tell, I just know Satan was frustrated at this point. All this time I put, and here's Jesus in hours, in a night, just healing all these people. Just healing all these people. And the interesting thing I found, I, I thought was interesting about this was, This wasn't at the synagogue, right? This wasn't at the synagogue. This wasn't in a palace that all this was taking place. It wasn't in some dark alley where only the poor could witness this. The city was flocking where? Where was the city flocking to? Where were the people coming to to be healed and delivered? They were coming to Peter's house, an ordinary house. They were just coming to a regular fisherman's house. Now, he wasn't poor. He wasn't rich. He was just a dude. You know what I mean? They came to his house. God can use us in the same way. God can make our house great. How? By his presence being there. Will you bring him home? I'm telling you, God can easily have the masses flocking to our house. He can. Why? Because his love is found at our house and the masses will flock there. And if you're part of the masses that's doing the flocking, you know what I mean? If you're part of that that's doing the flocking, I pray right now that you open up your ears. Please just open by the power of the Spirit. Open your ears and open your eyes and see. Because I wonder if there is a house in Flagstaff that's just like Peter's that you can go to and run to. I bet you there is. We have redemption communities in these, in these neighborhoods. I bet you you can go to a house. I bet you you could find a house like this. If you would just open up your ears and listen. Just open your eyes and see. Talk to a leader after this. If you're one that's trying to find a house like this. If you're one that's trying to flock. Talk to a leader after this message. And I bet you he or she can direct you to a redemption community that truly loves their community. And on the back of that informational card, there is one redemption community that they're highlighting this week. So that's a good place to look to. But why? What was the reason for people flocking to Peter's house? The reason was Jesus had authority over the masses. His authority. It rang out. They knew where the power was. They knew where all that was happening. They knew where all that, they knew, oh my goodness, come on, Wes. They knew all that was going on was at Peter's house and that's where the authority was. So they flocked there. So that's why they were there. And I'm going to close. Was that quick or was that long? Anybody ready for me to shut up anyways? Everybody good? People, I don't see not one person sleeping. So that's really, really good. And I haven't seen a yawn, unless you guys are really good at hiding. Hiding yawns and know how to sleep with your eyes open. All right? So, so we're going to close. And, and when we close, I know that um, what uh, 
we like to do at this particular congregation is to reflect on things. So I want you guys to reflect on those three things. I want to pose a question to you. Who are you? Did you see yourself in any of those categories? Are you the wise? Are you the wise? Are you one that has everything pretty much figured out? You know what your life is going to be like. You have the plans mapped out. And actually, you have the plans mapped out, and you're on the trajectory to reach your destination. You're there. Your life is good. You're the wise. You're smart. You consider things except for Jesus having authority over your plans and your actions. So are you the wise, but you never factored in the authority of Jesus over your life? Jesus isn't the center of it all. And Jesus has very little sway in anything that you do in your life. Is that you? Just really think, think, man, I'm going to move here to this city. You don't factor in your church. You don't factor in Jesus. You don't factor those things in. Man, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to this school or that school. Does Jesus have any sway in that? Does Jesus have any say in that? I pray that you begin, if that's you, I pray that you begin to reassess your life with the authority of Jesus at the forefront. Start thinking about what your life would look like if Jesus was at the forefront of it, dictating the the, uh, directions that you go. So are you the wise? Or are you a follower of Christ? Are you one that said, you know what? I trust him. I trust him. I believe in him. I'm following him. You're his beloved. You belong to him. But you doubt your worth. Could that be you? You're doubting who you are in him. You're doubting your worth. You doubt that Jesus is truly interested in the mundane life that you're living. Is that you? So what you do is you come here and you go to other places and you seem so excited about the things of God. But when it's time to bring them home, it's all gone. Is that you? Is that you? If it is, I want you to repent right now. And I want you to believe in God. Repent and believe that he loves you. Repent and believe that he's there for you. Repent and believe that he wants to be in every aspect of your life. He wants to heal your home. So are you the wise? Or are you the one that's following him, but you just don't bring him home? Or are you part of the masses? Are you at this church this morning flocking to Jesus? Is that you? You don't really know who he is, but you know you're here. So you're kind of flocking to kind of figure out who is this Jesus? Is that you? If that is you, I want you to, I just want to tell you, don't wait anymore. Come to him. The Bible says, come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls. Oh, will you come if you're flocking to Jesus? Will you come if you're here trying to figure out who this Jesus is? Will you come to him? I pray right now. I pray that that your mind is being renewed and that your heart is being transformed. I pray now that, that you're thinking about how in the world, Jesus, can I be yours? How can I truly be yours? How can I truly follow after you? I pray that you're seeing seeing the power of the Spirit throughout this passage, working in Jesus, healing the sick, and that you can actually be like, I know you can heal me too. I pray that you see here Jesus delivering people that are oppressed, and you can be like, you know what, Jesus, I know that you can deliver me too. I pray that that's you. 
because you see that Jesus has authority over the masses. Let's pray, guys. God, you are so wonderful. And it's a blessing, God, to be called by you. It's a blessing, God, to be part of your wonderful plan of salvation. God, I pray that if any are here that find strength in their own selves and in their own abilities, I pray, God, that they understand that Jesus has authority over the wise and that he is the one that should be dictating their lives, that he is the one that should be guiding them in the path of righteousness, that his life is the better life. I pray that, God, and I pray for those that have a genuine heart for you, that truly love you, God, but they just doubt their worth, and they, and they, just, they just don't bring you home, and they don't have you in every aspect of their life. I pray, God, that they were awakened today. I pray that they were awakened by your spirit on the authority that your son has over their life, every aspect of their life. So I pray for my brothers and sisters today to repent and believe that Jesus is the better, that Jesus has authority over their life. And I pray, God, also for the one that is seeking you, the one that needs to flock to you, the one that needs to be healed, the one that needs to hear those words of salvation, the one that needs rest, the one that needs the comforter to fill them. I pray, God, that they will see your son lifted up, that they will be saved under the banner of salvation today. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we thank you for your son, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.